Li Wen, to be honest, I'm really excited. Uh, me too. And there's millions of people probably listening to us right now. You're very optimistic. Yeah, of course. I mean, think big, right? <laughs> yeah. Think big. So um, mm. I'm really, I'm really excited to so, get this thing started with you. Mm. Uh, let me introduce you first. You are in the very first place. You are an extraordinary personality. Wow, uh, I'm blushing. <laughs> you are born in China. You live in Berlin. You are a writer with a journalistic background, you're an author, you are a consultant, an analyst, a feminist activist. So you have a lot of things on the plate. And I sometimes wonder how actually do you handle that? Oh, that's easy. If I don't have all these things waiting for me, I will not get my feet out of the bed. All right. Yes. <laughs> it's all for the purpose of getting me out of the bed. That's good. That's good strategy. Yes, yeah, indeed. because I'm, uh, I'm not made for this office work. Uh, and it's I hate to go to the office like every day on the on like to punch the cards and everything. And that, that gives me a lot of um, unwell feelings. So I choose to do freelancing and being working at home on my own schedule. But if my schedule is not crowded enough, I would just lie in bed for the whole day without doing anything. Seriously? Yeah, that is what I, <laughs> how I solve my own problem. <laughs> okay, good strategy. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> fighting laziness, but it sounds like really a lot on the plate. Well, anyway, this is pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and so I'm even more happy that you take the time that we get our little thing going here. I'm equally excited because I know that you are, you have a long experience in China and also you are also a freelancer that uh, adds to the your journalistic work is is like really covering a lot of important areas uh, sectors and you really see the point um, that all the all the challenges that we face today and the origins of it in China that is how we get connected when we first met because we have this shared perceptions on the challenges of our world based on our China experiences and also European experiences. So I'm very happy to start this. Actually pretty flabbergasting. You had a, an exchange with someone from the EU yeah. on, your, on your Facebook, right? Yes. And you were talking about the coronavirus and he blamed you of spreading fake news. And the interesting <laughs> thing about it is, is you can argue about the... or it's difficult to verify some sources sometimes and you can argue about if all the details are correct or not. But why would someone not blame the Chinese government, for example, in this case? For the untransparency. Exactly, right? But I, I tell you one thing, that in this exchange, I want to tell this story. Like, let, let's start with this story about from coronavirus, about China, about authoritarian, later. Yeah. Exactly. Let's, yeah. let's, let's start with an explanation. What are we, what, what are we doing here yeah. and why are we doing that? You asked me the other day, what is your aim when we do a podcast? Yeah. And I was thinking about it very first time. What is my aim, actually? And yeah, I think my, my idea is to make people understand about mechanisms, functionality of authoritarian systems. I didn't know much when I went to China in 2007, and that was my first real encounter with authoritarian systems. In nine years I had time and the privilege to experience a lot of real-life encounter with the red lines and dictatorships. And so this is actually what I what I think is really interesting for people who haven't had the opportunity to live in such a in, live in such a place mm. to explain to them mm. what is the differences in real life. Yeah. And not make it put it on an abstract level where we start to 
rely or relate to uh, to statistics or figures or whatever. We also can do that, but basically it touches people's real life and maybe we can give an explanation on these things and by your experience, which is of course deeply yeah. rooted. And I think witness is very important, witnesses how uh, life, society, politics, economy function in such a system. People talk about authoritarian or totalitarian system as if it's just some kind of far away 1984 science movie. Um, and, and somehow there's something even exciting about that. They somehow don't really know that they, they have no experience of such fear anger, frustration and humiliation and this sort of thing and lack of losing of hope over time for personal development or even dignity. This sort of thing you can only get it when you live in it because it consists of millions of details and like not only of your own life but also of people that you care about that you really love that you you know interact with so i think the part in the past years i also have the frustration when i live in germany i try to convey my experience to other people um it's hard to tell them in like a dinner time in a cafe cafe drinking coffee you know bask in the sunshine of breathing free air People have hard time understanding what is really going on, like in China, and they have a hard time trusting me because it was only like one hour, two hours time. Everything seems so fine. The emotional depths of that I got from my experience cannot be conveyed to them in such a context. I made the same experience basically. People yeah. very often just answer like wow and then they don't start to process it, go deeper into it. And this yeah. is well, this is a good opportunity. It's human to nature, right? So we I understand that. So so I think your idea is very good. So we just tell our experience, our personal experience here. And so bit by bit and people can choose to listen to it when they have the time. And particularly, I think, with coronavirus coming, lots of people will be shut indoors a lot of times. Yes. And <laughs> then, then we can communicate through then, this then common experience. Then we have millions of people, as I yes. said. Maybe it becomes billions, <laughs> who knows? It's in English, so it's a, it's a world That's language. Hope. Yes. What I realized within the last few or couple of months, the handling of the, of the corona crisis in China, of the virus, it gives a lot of insight of a textbook of how authoritarian system works. Yes, I totally agree. It's a textbook experience. Also, it's very futuristic because of the high-tech, um, so-called big data, infrastructure, collecting infrastructure, as well as the government's decision and lack of hesitation to infringe in, uh, personal privacy or human freedom. When we see how the government handles the virus, my opinion is that, well, they were rather early in comparison to SARS 17 years ago. Uh, I experienced SARS in Beijing. I mean, that was, I was in the beginning because I was a journalist then. So I had the whole full experience of this uh, from the, like, uh, really front line. In SARS time, they also, I mean, at that time, you have to consider there was not such a system of, like, a national CDC, which is Center for Disease Control and Prevention reporting system. So um, this time, yes, they established a, a 
hierarchical system that you can report the information really fast when they spot something suspicious, like like a um, SARS-like epidemic. Officials and particularly the medical uh, staffs have quickly reported it within the system. But can you say that during the SARS time they did not report it? I don't believe it. I think they also did. And the problem is that in both time, the news or the information within the system, in both time, it was deliberately stopped by the highest authority. We don't know who gave the order. Probably it's President Xi, or probably it's just starting from the state council. We don't know, because nobody's going to admit that they give the order not to do anything and reveal this to anybody outside the system. Did you see any learning process compared to 2003 now? The only thing that is making a progress is that the scientists have quickly figured out genetic sequence of the virus and sent it to their international counterpart for analysis. It was really fast and it was long before Chinese government admitted to the public that there was a, such a trouble. And you ask yourself, why did the Chinese government send the virus to the international counterparts instead of doing immediately efficient control on the local epidemics? And not only that, to prevent people from knowing this, they did not allow people, the medical staffs who are actually at that time, at the end of uh, December, already started to deal with hundreds and hundreds of patients flushing into the hospital. And they did not allow medical staffs to wear these really good pr uh, protective gear because they think this would cause trouble, like cause pa unnecessary panic, that's their word. And lots of medical staff either got severely sick or even died, like Dr. Li Wenliang, the whistleblower. Also, the government has prohibited the conductors or security guards in highway, like, you know, high-speed train, railway station and bus station from wearing masks to protect themselves for fear of so-called arousing unnecessary panic among the public. So basically exposing them to the virus. You know your country made much better than I do, so do you think that Chinese people would generally fall in panic when they see people with a protection, uh, protection suit? We have to ask ourselves, first of all, what is panic? Second, what do people do in panic? Because in Europe we are facing the same issue now. All around the world, in Iran, they are copying the, the behavior of China right now. Also, to prevent people from panic, uh, let's not tell them. We will handle this. We will control, put it under control. But they cannot. Of course they cannot. This is unpreventable. So what is panic, first of all? Panic is a human reaction, an alarm to your emotions that there is something happening that is not good. You need to protect yourself. And this is human self-protection instinct. This is how humans survive for millions and billions of years, probably, if they can. But if you stop people from panicking, that basically means you stop them from knowing and taking reaction. This is a crime. Second, what do people do in such a panic? You think they go out to throw up, like, like to, to rob the store or whatever? No! People are afraid of virus, right? When they are afraid, what they do? They buy masks. 
they buy food, they buy water, then you hurry up with production. There is no problem with that. We are in a modern society with the capacity to produce a lot of things in just short time if the market needs it. So why do we stop people from buying these things and store them up just like we are doing now? It will come sooner or later. If you prepare, the earlier you prepare, the less this kind of panic-induced chaos will there be. So I don't think preventing the crowd from panic is a justifiable sort of principle for the policymaking. It's all bureaucratic or authoritarian mentality to, for the bureaucrats to think, ah, give me some time, like, like make it easier for me. What I find quite remarkable that the German health minister announced to prepare for an epidemic in Germany. And he was pretty much ahead of his time with that. Yeah. What would happen in China when, if, if authorities in the same early stage had warned of an epidemic going on? It would be much better if the government stepped in in the beginning and revealed the real number and data and, and, and let journalists do their job by reporting the real situation. Because if they do that, people would trust the government. Do you know there's a word called Tacitus um, Pitfall? Tacitus Pitfall is, um, is a, I think he's a Greek philosopher who talk about this uh, pitfall of government, the government and the people. Mm -hmm. So if the government has been lying and hiding all the time, whatever the government tell later, people will not believe. So once you sink into this pitfall, the government is not trusted, you cannot compensate for that. So in the future, even, even if you want to tell people the truth and help them to get to the society to get into an order, people won't trust you because people would simply guess the worst. So in the beginning, if the government has really allowed the transparency of media and freedom of the media to access all these and allow the doctors to tell and medical staff to tell the public what is really going on, it would be much easier to, for the people to plan in advance what to buy, what not to buy, and, and how to store, and etc. Because every family have their situation, right? Some have five people, and some have old people, and some are just two young people. And your government as a whole cannot plan for everyone. Back then in 2003, did you report on SARS? Actually, yeah, or? I did not go to hospital, but my colleagues did. My job at that time was mostly to visit a World Health Organization um, in Beijing to um, get to know the experts' um, opinion about the development. And also I went to co government conferences, uh, uh, press conferences, and talk also with uh, experts visiting Beijing at that time at a high time, like Laurie Garrett, who is an uh, epidemic expert in the Council on Foreign Relations in New York City. And at that time, I learned a lot from Laurie about the failure of public health system all over the world and how to deal with this panic without, for example, we, when we see virus um, coming and we actually need to know that we are not dying, all of us, because she knows that the most important thing is not to touch your mouth and your nose and your face, basically. And then when you go home, you really carefully remove your clothes and, and dis disinfect it, etc. So these are practical tips. But instead of that, Chinese government was just not teaching people that. And when they teach people, they give a lot of 
overdone kind of instruction. Stay at home and don't ever go out. They they like block out like right now in Wuhan and in many other cities. One tenth of the country <laughs> is kind of blocked at their, at their home. Really, it's it's either one extreme or the other. And now because of the economy slowing down, and so the government is like, it's all fine. We have controlled everything. We have no uh, zero new cases now in many of the places. Let's go back to work. And you know what they do? They demand, like local official, to please the central government. Um, by showing the data of their electricity use, which is an indicator on the local production level. They forced <laughs> local factory to run their factory empty. The machine is running, nobody's there working, so as to increase the electricity usage to please the central government. The, the World Health Organization you just mentioned, it. did they make any experience compared to now? I mean, they got 17 more years to get to know each other. Yeah, no, it's worse. This Why time, World Health Organization, because I interviewed the representative of World Health Organization in Beijing in 2003. He was cautious, as always, because World Health Organization is just an organization that rely on the member states to give them money and to support, to cooperate them. They are not like supervisor. Uh, position to these countries, so they have to negotiate. It's pretty much like a guest invited in the in the house and tell the uh, the host, look, um, can we do something here? What is really going on in your house? Um, but even in two thousand three, even then, the secretary, the, the representative World Health Organization in Beijing was rather how to say, um, worried, and he showed his worried about SARS situation. Even though he refrained from criticizing Chinese government, he showed his willingness to dig further into the, the truth and say, we are actually working to find out what is really going on. He told that to me. Yeah, This time, from all the World Health Organization public uh, press release and everything, what we see is the opposite. They have completely adopted the official line of Chinese government. They did not do the job to urge the Chinese government to tell the truth and did not show their attitude of disapproval to Chinese government's behavior. Why do you think they do it? Money. Many of my friends, journalist friends who have undergone SARS and who have observed the whole thing, they all agree that World Health Organization this time is behaving like a compromised organization compromised by Chinese government and speaking for this for the Chinese government all the time and when I say that that triggered the anger of this high-level EU diplomat who's a German and he probably have very good connection with China because he studied in German University and etc and so he accused me of um, attacking the organization unjustly because probably he also feel kind of attacked indirectly because he's also in you know <laughs> working in this diplomatic yeah um, one would wish that this critics uh, also includes very critical view on the figures we get from the Chinese government right yeah. There's there's no this kind of, of, of critic reflection on these on these figures. Think which about is think about what was yeah. I mean the thing here is that I said this all this with evidences in the very beginning when this was an epidemic. It was not out of control. Chinese people are suffering, dying on the streets. We saw videos of people 
dying on the street, begging on social media for food, for, for medicine, for treatment. World Health Organization gave an international press conferences and tell people everything was fine, everything was under control, Chinese government is doing a good job. Like, what's the point of having them in China if they don't even see what is happening there? Like, did they send people there? Did they do their research? They did nothing, right? All they did was to give, get some statement from Chinese government and read it to the press. And then later, when this already spreaded and like all over the world, um, there are already sporadic cases in the world and they still deny this is, this is a pandemic. And even nowadays, like everything they say is one step or two steps or three steps behind the real situation. And they behave just exactly like these bureaucrats in China who want to control the panic of people. And by doing that, they are slowing down countries, nations' reaction, um, like to take actions against or prevent this from happening. Right now, what we see is that South Korea has become another plague center, and etc., etc. So all these sort of things, World Health Organization still have a lot of people, including decision makers in different countries, fooled or like misinformed. Would it be a, a lose of face for a, for authoritarian systems, especially in China, mm. if they would actually go along with the recommendations of the World Health Organization that should be able to handle these crises, to, to organize with their network, to organize in flow of information, uh, support from all over the world, prevent it from further spreading? Of course, China is influencing every, every institution, international institutions, um, as much as they can. You know, World Bank and Asian Development Bank and But UN. it might be helpful in this case. I mean, in WHO this, is... I mean, no, WHO... I mean, we're in a serious crisis, in a health crisis. So why don't we... Why would the system in China... Why would the regime not listen to what the people from the WHO say? Because, first of all... I mean, this is a this is an immense, like, huge question because um, it got touched at the center of the the governing governing principles of Chinese Communist Party, a dictatorship or an authoritarian or totalitarian system is ruling on the principle that everything has to be in strict control. And nobody should see anything that is out of control in their system. Because once people see that, the authority of this whole system will collapse. And they, they cannot allow that to happen. Because they're they frightened that control. it happens, right? Yes. Really so they will control not only China, but the whole world, if they can, from questioning their ability, credibility, and etc. So when these things was out of control they of course didn't want want who to do anything like that is contradicting their own manifestations because they also are very much also not only afraid of their own reputation and, and their image um, and their authority but also that china be declared as a plague country or you know mm -hmm. and then it will really greatly hit uh, China's economy. Well, and the rest of the world as well, right? And the rest of the world as well, but they don't care. What they care is Chinese economy. Sure. 
So um, there was a fierce argument in the beginning. If you look back to around uh, January 20s or something, when the journalists were angrily questioning World Health Organization, why did they not declare this as an emergency and etc. etc. And actually, between from the resources that I heard, um, World Health, or WHO was actually arguing with Chinese government as well. They tried to kind of get more agreement from Chinese side to let them, to allow them to announce this situation to the world. And in the end, they gave in. Why did they do that? China is a big, major, one of the major budget contributor to the UN. So you don't want to piss off China. And China will make sure that you suffer if you don't listen to China. And everything depends on everything, right? It's yes, uh, everything also depends on everything. In between yeah. right now. Yeah. Are you in contact with uh, journalistic friends in China right now? All the time. What do they tell you? Are they able to do their job properly, or where is the where's the boundary? I mean, there's always a boundary in a in a dictatorship yeah. that you can't cross. But is it is it much earlier in this in this? crisis now? Yeah, of course, the media control has always been there. So you see very interesting developments in the past month. Um, so in the beginning the, of the outbreak, the journalists were not allowed to recover anything about this thing, about the um, epidemic. And then when it really starts suddenly in Wuhan, suddenly it, it couldn't be hidden anymore. Because on social media, people were begging for treatment uh, for their sick families or for themselves. And it happens that during that time, it was Chinese Spring Festival. So government staffs uh, were on holiday. So the strict control on media was sort of loosened. So during the Spring Festival, many of these brave journalists from all the remaining Chinese traditional media went to Wuhan and really covered a lot of the the situation there, including interviewing with the doctors and nurses and also people who are in need and that sort of thing. That was like a window time, simply because this is another picture of the authoritarian system, <laughs> simply because the officials were on spring festival leave. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I could imagine it happens in Germany as well. <laughs> Don't take away the lunch break. No, no way. But that was also a time when people were completely helpless because government did not take action at all to save, to help these people in need. All they did was to shut off, shut down the whole city, including public transportation. Then you see people, patients who carry their family member, sick family member on their back, back and forth, back and forth every day to the, to the hospital, three hours walking, carrying your sick family members on your back to get some hope of treatment. Can you believe that? Why would they walk? They don't have a car. They there was no car. They did not have car. Some people don't have car. And also people are not allowed to drive car at certain points or there's no completely no uh, public transportation. After that, the media suddenly um, after the <laughs> spring festival break, all the official went back to work. I mean, some local, low-level um, government staffs were working during the Spring Festival, busy to handle some emergent uh, tasks, and many of them asked to, were working to delete 
to do censorship, right? To delete posts <laughs> mm -hmm. from the social media and, and all the reports. Some of them died actually out of fatigue, which I don't know, quite a black sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And um, then after that, after the officials returned to work, then the government seemed to take more action, so more control. Uh, journalist friends of mine started to be pushed back to the to the backstage, and government sent three hundred official journalists to Wuhan to do their job. Their job is to do propaganda, right? To to show how cheerfully people are dancing in the quarantine center right. to do um, interviews with like showing how great the doctors are doing their jobs which they do probably right yes, I mean but, but, but this is the only angle then they have to they yes, can report about yes, right but they can't do that too much because these doctors they work like 12 hours a day at least right they cannot complain they can only say we are working very hard, but no details. We are uh, doctors and nurses are lack of protective gears, and they are not allowed to talk about that. There was this there was this piece of the in the New York Times about the about the nurse who told who told about her two two week non stop working uh, period in a in a hospital. They even had to wear diapers because they were simply not able to take off their protection suit yeah. and to go to the toilet. And when they had the yeah. menstruation, for example. Mm they just needed to let it run because they don't have an, an option. So they, they were, I think, scars of diapers. So some people sent diapers to the hospital to help the, the nurses, at least, the, the, the female staff of the, of the hospitals. There are so many, so many of these uh, aspects of these disasters, failure of the state in this uh, storm. Like nurses, look, more than 60% of the medical staff that are fighting are women. And one of the journalists or uh, uh, NGO was asking the hospital there, they are mostly m governed by men, yeah? the director of the hospital, and say, do you need a um, sanitary pad? And <laughs> the hospital director said, oh, we don't need that. We, we just need protective gear. Mm -hmm. And the protective gear, of course, was short in great shortage because they were in... Um, they were wrapping themselves in the best hospital in Wuhan was like self-made, right? A lot of them were self-made. Plastic bags yes. for rubbish. Yes. That's what they do. Like wrap themselves with plastic bags. For for weeks they were doing that. And even now, outside Wuhan in peripheral cities, it was the same thing. We just don't see it because these are smaller hospitals. They don't get the attention. That people don't know how to use social media to get attention there. So anyhow, so back to Wuhan. So the journalists cannot cover on this kind of news. Any report come out uh, or from the personal posts of these journalists uh, are quickly deleted, but still people keep on sending these posts on social media. So volunteers came in to do the jobs to send um, the materials to, to the uh, resources to the hospital. And the government ordered these hospitals not to receive grassroots like uh, NGO support or personal donation because it looks bad. They demand every donator donate the stuff to the Red Cross Hubei. Red Cross Hubei collected all these things and first thing they distribute, first place they distribute these resources, protective gear and N95 masks to the government officials. And there were lots of corruption news came out, like, like this private driver of an official got a box of these masks into 
in his trunk and where's the level of where the corruption start in that scheme if, if people send it to the to the red cross and it doesn't end up where it is needed most mm. where's the level in, in 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 government where these things go wrong every level i mean every level really because look the red cross china uh is a kind of semi-governmental organization they monopolize the um the how to say disaster relief um all the deployment of the resources and etc the because chinese government is very suspicious of independent ngos independent ngos can be a dangerous challenge to the government authority because if they do good they do good things and gain the heart of people they might one day you know become uncontrollable so every ngo in china has to somehow surrender to the government's scrutiny and control and particularly those who are semi-government like the red cross will be basically monopolizing a lot of these um, disaster relief actions and resources so that is a certain point red cross hubei of course it's under directly under the control of the hubei government right hubei provincial government and so when they monopolize all these resources they put it to a warehouse and allocate them to the officials of all levels and not only officials but government staffs uh, before they give it to the hospital and they do it very slowly so the hospital had to line up send their staffs outside the warehouse to line up to sign signature in a you know digitalization time <laughs> they have to hand sign all these things instead of getting the things delivered to their place and one of some of the hospital have annoyed the red cross hubei because they were openly asking for donation to the society on social media and red cross punished these hospitals by not giving them the protective gears that they deserve that's cynical as well oh it's it's evil it's not about cynical it's evil and we have all the reports there it's not just i'm um, collecting rumor from internet social media we have journalists there even cctv like china central tv station journalists was sort of kicked out by the red cross while doing this sort of report mm. when you mention the media again uh, there was that commentary in, in global times from the editor-in-chief hu Xijin. what he did he he blamed the officials in wuhan and he was asking for severe consequences and the perception abroad was like oh this is surprisingly open how can you criticize government levels in china that much my perception though was this was actually part of the strategy to push away the responsibility from the central government that they can point to someone who is responsible to blame him and to punish him so that you can actually satisfy public anger by saying he is guilty or they are guilty but not us uh, you mean the Hu Xijing of Global Times, Global Times the yes. chief editor of Global right. Times the mouthpiece of the Chinese right. government globally criticized the government He's doing the opposite, actually. He's supporting the government by blaming certain... Yeah, of course. Um, I think in every dynasty, in every uh, f ancient emperor, empire or kingdom or etc., you always have scapegoats, right? Um, the emperor is always great and wise within their propaganda uh, narratives. It's always that local official fucked it up. 
the emperor was wise and really good-hearted and always want the best for the people. But why is the perception <laughs> then, for example in Germany, mm. not everyone of course, but why do some people think, wow, this is really outspoken? I mean, people who spend some time to think about China, who do mm. it in their daily work or whatever. You are the German, you should tell me. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. I think I think probably people have a misunderstanding about the totalitarian authoritarian system. I think people who are in democratic society is very very have very limited knowledge about how the di dictatorship and totalitarian, particularly a sophisticated one in China, how it works. But if they know the basic principle of this system. I think gradually they would they would not be easily shocked by this sort of seemingly contradiction phenomenon. Chinese propaganda machine never I mean think about Mao Zedong, right? During the Cultural Revolution, Mao Zedong instigated the whole country's young people to beat up his former old colleagues that had fought the war against the Kuomintang with him simply because of power struggle because he wanted these old colleagues to be erased from his power game. That is sort of in the struggle, it's always happening. Like Within the dictatorship, within an authoritarian society, there's always someone who is more powerful, who wants to grab all the power and shift the blame to other people within the system. As long as these narratives does not affect the people on top at all, it does no damage to this system. Does that please Chinese people when they hear these stories? Some. Enough? But I think, I think it's weakening gradually because this time it's really, really like black sense of humor. We Chinese have a word called Bei Guo. Bei Guo is to take the blame, take the blame for everything, which means shoulder uh, a pot on your back. The pot is, is the, the blame. So this time, somehow this pot is flying in the air and everybody's pushing this pot to each other. Hubei CDC push it to central CDC. Central CDC push it back to Hubei CDC. Doctors push it, scientists push it to the CDC. And um, even <laughs> President Xi Jinping, when he came out to talk about this for the first time after hiding in his bunker, I don't know, for, such, for, for a long time, in early February, I think, he came out to give a press conference, not press conference, but open speech, and said that from the 7th of January, I already started deploying all the necessary strategy, which means he, he also is pushing the pot to other people mm -hmm. <laughs> in central CDC. But if you think about that, Chinese government only announced that this disease is dangerous and could pass from human to human on 21st of January. And on the 7th of January, Xi Jinping said he already started deploying uh, actions. What so actually that? he admits that we're, that they were late on, on informing the, the public. <laughs> you are the president of the country. <laughs> you can't push this pot to other people below you. There's nobody to take this pot. Well, at least some people outside of China also go with that narrative, right? They, it seems that some people really do believe that. So in this dictatorship or in this totalitarian system or authoritarian system, whatever you want to name it, you see that nobody takes the blame. Nobody takes responsibility. They seem really omnipotent, meaning they are all powerful, but nobody takes responsibility.
that's a very interesting phenomenon you can observe in every system like that. That's interesting to see what happens in, in such a environment now. We have um, Xi Jinping had this had this telephone call, telephone conference with 170,000 <laughs> civil servants, yeah, or party members on, mm. on all levels, on, on the yeah. on the grassroots level. Yeah, yeah. To, to announce his strategy and to give them orders how to handle the crisis. Mm. 170,000 people on the, on, the, on, the, on the grassroots level, will they now act like the president tells them? That means they won't be able to be flexible because the president told him to do otherwise and the president has probably no idea what's going on in real life. He just gets reports that yeah. might be spruced up as well, yeah. made up for his ears. Yeah. So... Talking to them directly actually sounds to me could make things even worse because the the range of acting for grassroots function uh, officials is limited and makes it more hard for them to to be flexible and to choose some options they wouldn't choose maybe. I think you have nailed the very essential point of the failure of the system that is actually unavoidable because in such a system as we have said that the the control, strict control, is essential for the survival of the system. The system is afraid of, like people in, in the top power, like Xi Jinping, the, most, the thing that they are afraid of most is that people become flexible and seek their own self-help uh, in their own way, because that would make them dispensable. That, that would make authority dispensable in many ways. So, it's very important, even in such a time, that the government, the central government or the, the president need to be present everywhere, all the time, to remind people, I'm here, I'm, I'm really very strong, you should listen to me all the time and don't ever get your own ideas. So for the regime, it is the survival, the fundamental fundament, foundation of the survival. As the difficulty that such a control freak sort of uh, style, the difficulty that it brings to the what we call which is like the staffs, uh, government staffs at the lowest level, it is immense. For example, the government say, we need to visit like these community staffs working semi semi government community staffs that they are like um, a kind of heritage from the communist time right every community has this little office that is governmental organized that they they really observe the whole community and do all the statistics collection and etc and all the like hygienic check and this sort of thing and so these community staffs have to knock on every door of the neighborhood and check everybody's temperature and note down their information where they have been and etc etc despite the fact that they could have done all these on the mobile because everybody has a mobile smartphone but no you have to be there and i know a lot of people come told me like people who are really the community staff told me on social media that how tired they are every day really they work also more than 12, 12 hours a day and this greatly because they are, because they have no protective gear like really good ones so this greatly actually increased their um risk of getting infected by potential you know patients of course you're exposed to it right like every day, every but minute, every hour. But nobody dare to say no. Nobody dare to say no. So they had to do that. So this is only one 
one thing that is done and not to say those police and semi paramilitary people and etc or, or village uh, governors they have to block the village entrance and everywhere so to shut lock down a city you imagine a wall every village every district every city entrance and exit has to have staffs there working 24 hours to block people from entering entering and leaving and how many people are there they are really the most exposed to danger but they have to do that so instead of focusing on doing the things right to prevent the virus to further spreading Mm. The first idea that is on your mind mm. probably is to please the, the upper level of hierarchy. Yes, uh, the number is important. The action show of the action is important. Yeah, when you do this, you post a photo. Look, our staff is here doing this and that. And we have done how many numbers of uh, like uh, how many households of checking. All these data is very important for the local government to show the central government we have done really well and this and this and this. Do you think that central government believes in its local government's data? I mean, they know about making up of statistics in China to serve their purpose. So do you think they believe that? Or the central government have their own way of, um, or way of supervising or, or um, surveying the, the local government's behavior. On social media, they could check because when people are locked at home and nobody come to deliver vegetables to them, food for them, they will complain, right? They will protest. And so collecting information for, on social media is also one method of central government to get information going on, get, get what is going on in the local level. Second is that they sometimes would send out you know, special commissioners or whatever to do the check. So it's so random that if you don't do it and you got caught, then you will be sacked or punished. And also there are um, all sorts of ways to to push the pressure all the way down and make it really clear. If you don't do that, you will suffer immensely. As an official, you will be severely punished and fear itself works very well but was that as strict in 2003 as well with SARS or is that now that we have uh, we Xi Jinping a few years on seven years now uh, are officials more alerted than 17 yeah. years ago yeah it's I mean officials are really more alerted all over China now but in 2003 it was mostly in Guangdong Hong Kong and Beijing right that was the the most ever important epicenter and it quickly went away afterwards. So this time, I think, yeah, all over China, the gov local governments are, are much more aware of that. And also they are more afraid of? Afraid of, yes, of course they are afraid of. I mean, in 2003 still, it was more like self-protection because it was a short time and in this epicenter, it was very severe. The people were very scared. So for self-protection, they also do that, did that. And they did not lock down the city as strictly as this time. In Beijing in 2003, we still had public transportation. And this time in Wuhan, there was no public transportation. Even in Hangzhou, it was limited. But luckily this time, many middle class have their cars, right? They can still replace the, that with, and some people have bikes and then motorcycles. Uh, it was better than 2003.
but um, but in this time, the the kind of strict level, like people are, you you can't believe how how strict that is. If you find one patient in this building, the whole buildings people like there were the local government would go there and weld the door. <sighs> Nobody could go out, and if you have a fire. People in the building would like be mostly dead before the door is opened. In some places, they wield the the main entrance door or the from the from the single apartments. No, the main entrance door. That's what I see in several cases in different cities. Because there was one suspicious case, or yeah, or confirmed case, yeah. Wow. And and that is of course uh, what is m the most severe measure was taken in Hubei province, not only in Wuhan but also in neighboring cities as well. And these are the out of the spotlight cities, yeah, Shiyan, Huanggang, and etc. What is the situation in Hubei actually from the health system point of view? I heard that Hubei is rather underdeveloped compared to other provinces. In terms of health system, no, that is not true. That is not true. First of all, to take Wuhan as a as an example, so they have really top-rated um, hospitals, like top-notch hospitals as well in Wuhan, the best among all like all the Chinese cities as well. Like they can really proudly say we have equally bad and uh, equally good medical staffs in Wuhan as. In Beijing and Shanghai, I wonder if we in Germany were prepared for that. I mean, no, the, the, the authorities say, or the ministers, ministries say, we are well prepared, and and I believe we are well prepared on a on a on a level to treat the yeah. the virus or to yeah. treat patients who are seriously ill. Yeah. I think we are, but on what scale, right? I mean, we're talking maybe we're talking not about ten patients, maybe we're talking about ten thousands. Are mm. we able to do that? Yeah. Are we able to treat them in any village in, in southern Bavaria or in eastern Germany, in, in Brandenburg or in Lecklenburg Vorpommern? I'm 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 not sure. I want to one thing I want to tell you or our audience and everyone who care to listen. Uh, this is also the the post my Facebook post that was attacked by this senior EU um, diplomat. I am saying this is a challenge that we have never seen in my generation and above. I'm a 40-something years old woman and I have undergone poverty time in China in early, like uh, late 70s and early 80s. And I have undergone SARS and I have undergone, you know, um, floods in China earthquake in Sichuan, you know, in 2008, and all these sort of things. But this is something we never experienced in our lifetime, and probably the one before, because it's more like the Spanish flu. So the Spanish flu erased how many, 5% of the world population? I don't know, percent, but it was yeah. 50 million people? Yeah. In the 1918, 1920, something, yeah. right? Or? In the time, when there was no high-speed railways, airplanes, you know, all these sort of like really fast-speed modern transportation. And not to say the globalization was only regional in Europe instead of like really high, really high communication between different regions of the world. So 
some experts, health experts, I forgot the name, sorry, I'm very bad with that, have predicted that 40 to 60% of the human population will in the end be infected by this uh, virus. Worst case scenario. It will. It's not worst case. I think it's already rather optimistic. Very simple reason. Because this virus is highly infected, we all know that, R0, which is, means per person infected could infect how many other people. This is R0 as a medical term. The R0 of coronavirus is between 2.2 to 4. This is really, really infectious, first of all. And uh, normally, you, you see that, of course, Ebola is much higher with the R0. I think it was like 11 or something. I, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not sure. I have to get back to check. But uh, normal, this is like a flu, and flu really spread. And also, there's a long period of uh, latent time, which means that you have no symptom, but you carry it. And, and you're you still contagious, it. right? Yeah, it's still contagious. And... What the doctors in China now, as from of, uh, really traditional media's report, is that the doctors told the people that after the, these, some of the patients recovered, like all the tests, like for example from their blood or from their feces, their shit, are all okay. Like it's all negative now. But they found out that the virus is still hiding in the throat. So it's, it's a very tricky virus. So even if you recovered, you think you have get the anti, the, the, there is just like a resistance to the antibody. virus. Antibody. You still actually carry it. You could keep it with you even after you recovered and still spread it to other people. I still hope it to be a worst case scenario because I... Well, we're working on we're working on vaccination. I well, to be honest, I don't have a lot of experience how long <laughs> it needs. Of course, we need to test yeah. it. Yeah. But but I mean, we are in a state of technology and research where these kind of vaccinations can be yeah. developed rather quick compared to yeah. whatever one hundred years ago. But the measures we take, or you see in China right now, and and uh, like the alert that is going on in other countries, gives me the hope that there will be enough cautious measures to avoid that we reach that point, that it really becomes a pandemic. It is already because there's there's yeah. lots and All lots of countries yeah. are affected. Mm. It's about Germ whether Germany is well prepared. I, I Why I say it's not well prepared yet is because um, they did not consider the collateral damage that the virus would bring. So most of the damage in China we have seen is uh, is seen from collateral damage. Virus itself, of so course. So you mean like economical damage, for example? or Many. Let me go to that in details later. Many people are, are now um, angrily cursing these um, fear mongers like me, saying that this virus is not actually very poisonous and the death rate is very low, like 2%, 1 to 2%, and etc. But they did not consider that 10% of the people infected might be, I'm talking about might be, because we don't have reliable data yet, might be turning into severe cases. And when you are in severe cases, you need to be hospitalized. And imagine 10% of the population. And you need 
I don't know how many more times of the medical staffs and helps to do this thing and 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 temporal hospitals, quarantine centers, etc., etc., and materials, protective gears, and etc. And China is now shutting down the all the factories are still down, like most of them are still down. So China is the manufacturing center for the world, and lots of materials cannot come from China. So can Germany produce these on its home territory? I don't know. And lots of German pharmaceutical companies already are lack of、uh, necessary materials to produce normal antibiotics. So this is one one thing to consider. Other collateral damage is that if you have insufficient hospital、uh, capacity, then people have to treat themselves at home. In the beginning, when the symptom is still light, that basically means they need to. Really protect themselves from their、uh, family members, and lots of the cases in China is that family members all get kind of infected because they had to take care of the sick member, family member, and then we have heard many cases that because of lack of proper care, that a whole family died, or just one survivor. Just recent in Wuhan, one survivor came back home and saw that all his family died. He hands himself dead because of he can suffer. He couldn't stand the the trauma. Hand himself on top of the high building there, and I saw the video and I saw the social media, like all many many resources confirming that. So we have this sort of like psychological impact. People who are locked up in Wuhan nowadays, they are really really psychologically on the verge of breaking down. And they scream at night. There was a video of people screaming at night, ah, just like that. And help! It's not that they are short of food. Some of them are short of food because the food、uh, has an inflation of prices now.、Um, lots of people buy food much less than they need because they need to save money. And some other, even those who have enough food, who can afford enough food, cannot stand being shut indoors for so long. And Not to say, lots of these light syndrome patients, they may not know how to take care of themselves, right? And they have light fever, and then they develop into、uh, like high fever. How long can you survive with high fever for three days? Maybe after that, you lose it. You don't get the ability to cover, like like to、um, recover by yourself anymore, or you somehow lose the ability to take care of yourself. We have lots of people living alone, old people.、Um, Loneliness is like a you know European issue, and then who will take care of them, right? And all these sort of collateral damage, and not to say when, if this thing spread faster, there will be、um, like、uh, manufacturing problems, like whether factories can continue working, and whether delivery can continue working, that sort of thing. Yet they can maybe if we don't adopt the China strategy, we don't lock down the city. We adopt the Singapore strategy, and and only I quarantine those people who、um, might have contact with suspected cases and etc. Let them stay at home and quarantine themselves. That is one way, but you need a lot of testers right now. Like you need to test a lot of people whether they are, you know, whether they have got the virus with them. We don't have that either. But what makes you believe that, with the experience from two thousand three? Slower process in forwarding information on the virus to international experts. the The death rate seems to be lower than、uh, SARS. 
Yeah, it is. So why would you still worry that we are not able to cope to handle it? Yeah, to, yeah. to cope with it like we did like 20 years ago. We, we had this experience. We are better in in in, in medicine. We're better in, yeah. in in research and technology. Yeah. I trust the system. I trust the uh, disease and prevention control system in uh, Western democratic countries in a way that they will be transparent and they have already a lot of cautions that they won't repeat the mistakes like Chinese hospitals in the beginning that mingle all the patients together without segregating the contagious ones and not the non-contagious ones and etc. due to the uh, lower population here because China simply have too many people to handle, right? And so it's more easy to get infected. But What I don't trust is that um, the speed of the reaction of German hospitals. At the moment, I have personally been in the German hospital for some emergency cases, and I sat there for four hours in a normal day to get myself treated before. So imagine, and there are an, another old gentleman sitting next to me and said he has been waiting for seven hours, and that was a normal day. And if there is an outbreak here, I don't know how do they deal with that. And if they don't test people in advance, why are people are waiting in this hospital for seven hours? How many do you think one potential patient could infect? And imagine the panic that people feel along the way and the anger that might trigger something else. That is something. I think our public health system in Germany is really heavily overloaded. And actually, this is not just my own conclusion. There was a Uh, was it at World Health Organization or some other institute who has done this research on the stress level, the uh, stress test of uh, different medical system in different countries? Their conclusion is that most of the countries in the world cannot handle this challenge. Um, Singapore has done a good job so far. So the world is looking at Singapore. Everybody is looking at Singapore right now because Singapore has a lot of money. They have a very good public health system and they have a very flexible um, way of dealing with this thing. Instead of locking down the city, they use quarantine methods and they have very good tracing um, methodology um, of the movement of people. And Singapore is doing a good job. But also there is a factor. Singapore has a very warm, warm weather. So, so far, from what I observe is that in warm, warmer countries, it seems really the virus is not spreading as fast. We are now in February still. So until the warm weather comes, we still have several months. Especially in Berlin. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And during this time, right, uh, the virus would still have a lot of opportunity to breed, to spread. And we cannot you know, rely on this. So the hospital will be stress tested uh, heavily, more than before, because we are already in the flu season. Hospitals are already overloaded loaded with flu patients. And if you have another bunch of these, then I don't know. What gives me hope is the the example of Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Taiwan apparently does a good job in, in handling the virus. Yeah. They have a very transparent public information scheme going yeah. on yeah they share information very quickly from different sources they yeah. have organizations who take care to to assess yeah the the 
the truth that it in is or yeah. they try to separate um, assumptions from from reality yeah. and it seems to be that they really better, yeah. are able to to handle it they just yeah. they have less than 100 infections i think so far yeah yeah and uh, people go along with with state orders or with, mm. with state recommendations so uh, government is is giving full transparency so if taiwan can do that there should be other countries that are not authoritarian ruled yeah that could do it yeah I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very much hope, hoping that this is the, the case. Uh, but on the other hand, Taiwan is also warmer. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> so that's why I mentioned this, this factor. And before that, I think, um, before that, we need to really get really, really ready for a lot of testers for, to test the virus. And also to solve the issue of hospital like uh, segregation, different parts and etc. Um, my my pessimism has reduced finally. Actually, at this stage, I'm less pessimistic than the previous two months, because finally, I think European media start to realize that this is hitting home. And before this, I was like almost screaming everywhere, shouting on my Facebook social media to tell my friends, uh, journalist friends in Germany and etc. like, look, we have to prepare, we have to prepare. And they did not take this seriously. So once I think when we take it seriously, we still have time to manufacture a lot of uh, like masks and protective gears and necessary disinfectants and all this sort of thing. And hospital might be able to now really realize every case that is coming with a fever or coughing or even diarrhea or just inconvenience or like, a, for example, the, the testicle of men can ache. That the balls, just the to, balls to explain aches. to everybody who is not... And uh, that in Fujian, there is a man who went to hospital just for this and was diagnosed with coronavirus. So medical staffs need to recognize these in time and take measure. What is worrying is uh, indeed that there was this Japanese woman, she was infected, then she got over it, so she was uh, labeled like healed, yeah. and she got a second time infected. Yeah. So there's either, let's hope that the test um, failed. failed when she was tested negative, but well, normally you would expect your that's, your that's immune system to to well to build yeah. up some some that, rejection, that, that's right? That's what we just talked about, right? You mentioned this case as very very telling that this virus is different from what we have seen. It's not like after you get you can get clean. You don't get clean. You carry it probably for the rest of your life. So it's hard, hard for the hospitals to handle. That's why I'm, I'm not saying that Germany doesn't have a good health, public health system. It is good, but it's on normal days already very stressed. So we have an additional condition that we have never seen before. This is a tricky virus that can only be tested sometimes in your throat, sometimes only in your feces, and sometimes, you know, it tests six times negative, and the seventh time you test net is positive. Indeed, yeah. So it's a it's a very tricky virus, and the doctors and nurses need to be informed and protective, protected in time. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure that they are all done. Uh, um, I think we are still in the process of it. So only when I see that the doctors and nurses here 
have all been well informed and don't treat this lightly. Only when I see that German hospitals are already preparing additional sort of like temporal quarantine center and etc., will I feel comforted. At the moment, everything's so similar to China. Mm. <laughs> People are still thinking that this is controllable. This is nothing serious. Then I don't, I don't trust it. Going back to the to the authoritarian background of, of China, do you think that that the guys in Zhongnanhai, Zhongnanhai sitting and really are afraid of what's going on, or, yeah, or are course. they confident enough to say we get over that? I mean, or how is the atmosphere now in in an authoritarian system? You know, facing this crisis, and they feel that people grow that anger, mm -hmm. and they haven't had that for many decades in China. That strong, yeah, yeah. and I mean, how is it to sit in that in that in your chair in Zhongnanhai, which is the which is the uh, the center of the government in in Beijing, and and you sit there and, and think about it. I, I wonder if if Xi Jinping and his and his um, and his guys from the standing committee, if they are confident and just think, oh, we get over it, or if they are really scared about what's going on in the country. If they are really on cry, if they are alerted, if they are in crisis mode, you know. I think. Um I mean, I don't have a direct line to John Ahai, to to the well, who does, to the, right? to the president. But I, you can see a lot of uh, um, observe from a lot of the state media to see their reaction, right, and guess what they are feeling. First of all, the wife of the president has not been seen for like more than a month. She's in hiding, and <laughs> she's not showing her face anywhere. That means they are really scared. And also, many of these. But like, they're scared on, uh, of the virus in of, this case. Yeah, yeah, first. In this this is, if they are scared of virus, they would know that people are also scared of the virus, right? Mm -hmm. And also the, the intensity of the censorship department um, work, that, that how quickly they are deleting the, the posts and how strictly they are. And also they sent police to um, social media users' home simply because they posted something about their own situation. That sort of thing. So that and they, they're also mm, tracking down people abroad, right? Yeah, they also track down people abroad. They, for example, one guy in the U.S., a Chinese guy in the U.S., uh, posted something on his own social media, and immediately he was he got four of his friends sending messages to him and asked him, "Where are you? Which hotel are you living in?" and that sort of thing, to control some Chinese in the U.S. Like, this sort of control is really just fear. It's out of the fear of the government that, that okay, we cannot let people speak because if they speak, there will be severe consequences. And think about the, the manpower that they, vote, they devote into this. They're so I'm sure that they are afraid of it. You're sitting in the U.S. and then you get a message and, and four people ask you the same thing. Why would your friends ask you, what is your hotel room number? What is your hotel? Where are you exactly? Yeah. I mean... Why would they seriously care yeah, about yeah. it, right? And then he was warned by, by uh, I think he was, was warned by someone else. There was a report about that I posted on my Facebook as well. And then he was warned that he should not keep on posting this sort of thing. So the 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 censorship is is really tightened right now. There was a moment, but probably that was during the, the Spring Festival, yes, right? Yes. When people started to to yeah. to call for uh, Help, more yeah. freedom of speech. Yeah, freedom of speech. And yes. it was for pretty. I, I don't know exactly, yeah. but it was at least a night long. 
Yeah. Seven, eight, ten hours yeah, yeah. before they started to to yeah. censor on it. Yeah, no, they did not provide. They was just not uh, not in office. <laughs> That's crazy. Don't yeah during <laughs> lunch break. So there you know <laughs> if you want to start break, yeah. if you want to start a revolution in any country, do it uh, do it during lunch break. Uh, yes. the officials, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that might be most national promising. National holiday, yes. <laughs> national holiday. So. That's that's very important. Yeah. Okay, how long are we into right now? I think pretty long. Oh wow, one and a half hour already. Yes. That's that was good. amazing. That was really amazing. It was really fun. I think there's yeah. much room to improve, mm. space to improve. Um, but uh, given the fact that I that was my debut for a podcast. It's good. I um, think you did a we, very good job. We, we tried to... Well, you were fantastic. You get so much impact. I, I think there's no person who who was in the on, on the internet, in social media, in Chinese social media, intertweet within the last two months than you. It's amazing. I think you, you, you probably have seen every video Yeah. That is related to coronavirus, right? Every yeah. video, every tweet, every story. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing you haven't seen and you haven't and you haven't read. Yeah, that's the you know that's the habit of a journalist. <laughs> but but you still have the other things to do, right? You yeah. have your consultancy, your analy uh, yeah, yeah. analyst job, and, and yeah. these things. I mean, uh, yeah. wh why why are you so dedicated on that topic? Because um, because I believe. I don't know whether I can say this um, without flinching, but I believe this is the beginning of a new world. Um, What do you mean by that? My gut instinct is always very... Because as a political analyst, as well as journalist, um, and uh, I always... I have sensed a change coming to our world, um, a change that is pushed by the widening wealth gap the failure of governance by many governments, including from east to west, the negative impact brought by the globalization, and uh, including climate changes and um, losing of jobs, unemployment stuff in the west, and etc. All these things created a storm that started from Brexit, Brexit vote, and extended to Trump being voted as the president of the United States. And now, this time, the, it's a virus hitting China. I connected all these dots, and I see that there is a, there is a movement. I see the virus as more like, a, more like a warning of the nature to the humankind. And this time, humankind will be all tested. Every government, every organization and individual will be tested by this virus. Um, it's a test that they have not undergone before in our generation, as I said. So uh, the, the impact it will bring is immense. And that's my gut feeling. In the first months, I already see it. And the more I go into it, the more I see how, like from social, cultural, economical, organizational, governing, and every side, how these virus will change um, China, to begin with from China to the whole world. Africa, for example, will be in a huge disaster because they have really a failed, a failed states in many countries. So will Pakistan. Iran is suffering from it already. We have seen them doing also cover, covering up of the real number and I just saw videos of Iranian kids breathing with difficulty in the hospital as well as an Iranian singer, a woman singer on the stage, video of her 
while singing suddenly in one second drop dead on the stage. So all these sort of things, you enlarge this, this phenomenon to global scale. I mean, half of the globe, because half of it will be in the winter and autumn, half of it will be spring and summer, which is warmer. You will see something that is going to fundamentally impact on the economy to start with that. And there will be, globalization will be cut off because, you know, we don't, we don't even have, sh ships cannot even park in Chinese harbor and Chinese ships coming out will not be parked anywhere and delivering these goods that we use every day. And imagine at the very beginning there was the, the there was Zero Hedge, the outlet, who reported that it might be a virus that escaped from a virus a virus lab. Yeah. Virus lab with the with a safety level four, yeah. which is the highest possible, so yeah. it's the only in, in, in China. Yeah. And then the Zero Hedge account was blocked for from uh, Twitter. At, at Twitter bec because of that report or in yeah. the wake of that report. Yeah. And now we're at the stage that Fox News, for example, reported about it publicly and there was other reports on it yeah. that there is a high probability that it escaped from that virus lab. But really struck me. I mean, you can, of course, wonder how does a virus escape from a lab? Mm. Well, you wonder, okay, it might be on your skin or yeah. in your hair or whatever yeah. it is. Negligence, yeah. What they assume is that the animals that are tested or that are uh, used in the lab for, 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 the, for the viruses are taken away by by staff mm. and sold to the market. to the food market <laughs> yes. to make well, some extra that's, money yeah, that's and if this is the way of the virus this is really like a like a bad horror movie because this is so so unbelievable if that really happened i don't know what do you think about that that possibility do you see that is le, le, an I idea mean, we are entering into a treasure's water right now i want to explain this to the audience because they have no idea so we are entering into a muddy area where because none of the explanation um, that we have got works nowadays. We need to go into the so-called conspiracy theories to try to understand what has happened. And there, in the conspiracy theories, also I'm also well informed of that, there are several conspiracy theories. And one day, one of them, because so far, many rumors in China has been proving is true. So I don't rule out the possibility that some of these rumors are right. So one of the one of the things that this uh, the the P4 lab virus lab staff sell these animals or even eat some of the eggs that they use for the experiments <laughs> just not to waste any food to the food market in Wuhan which is considered so far still as the source of the outbreak yeah, of the virus infection. If Though it is a seafood market, seafood right? Seafood market. But um, uh, this is not a rumor because in 2017 or 14, um, there was a, a really official announcement and then a news report about these, the same lab. Um, the One of the directors was was sentenced to jail because he took corruption and because he sold the lab animals for his own personal income which counted for like tens of millions of yuan which is quite a lot <laughs> that's a lot so you ask yourself is this real is it, did he really sell these animals or he used this excuse like he got some he got some other receipts to cover his own corruption so this is one thing right maybe he did sell but i have also seen other people like whistleblowers saying that they 
lab did really treated the animal randomly in a way, whatever way they like, recklessly. This is one possibility. But the other possibility is just a leak because of recklessness, like uh, the virus came out on the feed or whatever, that the staffs did not deal with it well enough, or the animal disposing um, staffs, staffs who are working on disposing the dead bodies of the animals might have got uh, careless during the, you know, the procedure and then they sort of got infected. And on the recent news you could see, it's a week ago, that the Chinese government issued a document demanding all the labs that relates to animal tests to be more careful with the animal processing or with safety. So why did Chinese government do that? It's an indicator, definitely, right? It's like a confession. <laughs> yeah. Like why in the middle of this storm, you tell your labs, be careful with your animals. Indeed. <laughs> it's almost like a confession. Yeah, you know, that remembers no, no, no. me. I, I forgot two, two other things. Two other things that make this case of food market argument very strange. First of all, Lancet has published several, I think, two papers f written by Chinese doctors proving that a virus could have appeared earliest in November and not coming from the seafood market. There are other... It origins. was Chinese researchers, yeah, right? Chinese researchers yes. published on established uh, internationally renowned medical publication. So we now can definitely confirm also from other newspaper or Chinese uh, magazines report that the cases have appeared much earlier than the January, uh, late December and early January. It must have appeared much earlier and outside the seafood market. This is a definite case already. We know that. However, if you trace back to the beginning of the outbreak, Hubei CDC ordered all the hospitals to rule out any cases that has got infected outside the seafood market as coronavirus patients. That means only if you have contact with the seafood market and have the symptom, can you be considered officially as confirmed coronavirus patients. Anyone affected outside the market would be considered not <laughs> coronavirus patients. This explains why? why we have different kind of counting suddenly, right? I mean, the, the, the official counting jumped immediately up a few thousand yeah. and yeah. And you but wonder, why, did, why is that possible? But why did they do that? Why did they want to drag people's attention to the seafood market? Be probably to... Cover to, up to something else. Exactly, to distract exactly. people from the lab, right? Yes, that's that's our guessing. So. You know, I remember... I remember um, that brings me to the uh, to, to that editor in a in a newspaper in in, uh, in Germany when I, I wrote a report I don't know what it was mm. and she claimed well the way you argue here is pretty absurd yeah and I said you know what I've been living in China for quite a while and the level of absurdity yeah is is not comparable to yeah. anything else you ever experienced in your yeah. life yeah so yeah conspiracy back and forth but there is a certain likelihood and as long as the government cannot prove that it is not the case because i mean how can we trust that i think we're still entitled to at least think it over i think people yeah i mean when you talk about this frustration of conveying our experience from china to the germans 
or Europeans or generally speaking Western democratic country citizens, one thing they don't know is that rumors, conspiracy theories, are the lifeline uh, or let's say life-saving guides for people like us living in it. Because if there is a rumor, for example, in 2003, and there's a rumor, wow, there's a disease out there, so don't go out and buy masks and wash your hands, uh, disinfect your house. You would do it. You do it. And if you don't do it, you trust what the government has said, you go on with your life as usual, you will become the first victim of the, inf- the virus. And that is how we do it. We are living in a country w- governed by a government that care less about people than about their own power and economy and, you know, about their own wealth. You have to rely on people outside the system, like um, individual citizens spreading news, uh, the, the situation online and that sort of... You have to rely on these, like, grapevines to get to the, the reality. And lots of time, these rumors are real. Lots of them are real. When it comes to how bad the situation is, you better believe in the worst <laughs> to prepare yourself. Um, well, let's uh, finish that with with, uh, with a little <laughs> sequence from Donald Trump. I saw this morning, I thought, in, on, on Twitter, uh, when he said, uh, questioned about about China's handling and the cooperation between the US and China on the coronavirus. He just said, mm. President Xi Jinping He's doing a great job no, and he he's said, working very hard. He said he's working very hard. He did not say he's doing a great job. He praised other countries for doing great jobs, but he did not praise Xi Jinping this time. He just said he works very hard. He works very hard, exactly. <laughs> well, it might be true. Uh, well, he's uh, probably uh, Xi Jinping is sweating well, a lot. Yeah, working hard on what? I don't know, but mm. he is working hard probably because now he probably feels that he's, his power is not that stable. Yeah. Lee, it was amazing, really. It was really good fun. It and, was uh, very fun too for me. Let's yeah. let's let's just repeat it uh, to yeah. serve our millions of listeners and audience. <laughs> you are so optimistic. <laughs> oh, think big. This is how we started it. This is how we finish it. Yeah. Okay. Then okay. Thank you. See you next time. Thanks for being with me. Yeah. Thank you for having this great idea of starting the podcast. Okay. Cool. Looking forward. Bye. Bye. <laughs>